Okay, so I'd like to welcome once again to the show, uh, somewhat of a co-conspirator these days, the one and only Dave Smethurst. How are you doing, Dave? I'm all right, Frank, actually. I'm looking forward to this, as usual. There's a lot to get through, so hopefully uh, the listeners will find it interesting, our ramblings. Yeah, we'll see how we get on. So, obviously, today we're we're back to discuss some more quotes from a couple of important figures within the, the UFO topic. And uh, before we get into anything, I just want to give a big shout out to the amazing DJ and Nathan from Cohen All Beans podcast slash YouTube channel. And also uh, James Iandoli from Engaging the Phenomenon podcast and YouTube channel, who have very kindly allowed us to use some of these clips from their interviews for this show. So I made sure to reach out to them to check that they were okay with us playing the clips before we put anything together. And uh, as always with this kind of thing, I would encourage everybody to go and check out the full interviews, uh, links to which will be in the episode description. So as anyone knows who's been involved in the UFO topic, there are many questions that we do not have the answer to. Now, we know that the US government has openly admitted that it has been looking into UFOs. After all, all of these you know, after decades of, of denying it. And then the question sort of becomes, well, what do they actually know since they've been looking into this all that time? And obviously that question is basically in itself a massive simplification because, you know, it's it's, it's far too broad of a term to say the government, you know, as is often discussed. The US federal government employs approximately 2 million people and uh, obviously the vast majority of those employees are not working on the ufo topic so where it gets interesting is the very small number of people who are actually read into some of the top secret programs which are actively looking at some aspects of the ufo mystery and as we know the u.s government now openly admit the existence of the orsap and atip programs which were quote, completely UFO-related, unquote, according to ORSAP director, Dr. James Lakatsky. Uh, despite the uh, the Pentagon's uh, official denials of UFOs being part of what these programs looked at in, in various statements, every single person who was involved and went on to speak publicly back up Lakatsky's assertion that they were indeed completely UFO-related. This includes Lou Elizondo, who was recruited by Lukatsky to handle the counterintelligence and security for ORSAP, and then went on to take over the whole effort down the line and transition the work over to ATIP, where they focused on military encounters with an abundance of data. And also some of the, the contractors of both of those programs and wider efforts, such as Colm Kelleher, uh, Dr. Colm Kelleher, Dr. Eric Davis, and, and many others have, have made the same assertions. Obviously, there are still massive gaps in our knowledge as as the public or people interested in this topic, you know, because a lot of the work that's been done by various governments looking into this has taken place behind the uh, curtain of secrecy. And, and all we're able to do is piece together the parts of the puzzle based on what the people who have been behind that curtain of secrecy are able to reveal to the public. 
and there are obviously big overlaps with national security in this topic and perhaps an argument to be made that some of this should be kept secret due to the sensitive nature of what is being looked at. Uh, all of the, the characters involved are bound by security oaths and non-disclosure agreements and are limited as to what they can say publicly. And I think, you know, with all of that in mind, there can be a danger of reading too much into comments sometimes made by people and the lines between speculation and the presentation of actual facts can become a little bit blurry sometimes. So we have to be aware of that too. And, and in this episode, we'll be going through some quotes from two individuals in particular who have had access to much more information than the public has, trying to get to the bottom of what is meant by what is being said. Is it something they've seen directly or part speculation perhaps? Are they leaving breadcrumb trails? You know, hints of things that they can't say directly but they want people to know about? Or is it more just speculative than that? And we're going to be going through and trying to figure out what we can from each of these quotes. So first up, some very interesting new comments from Christopher Mellon. So Christopher Mellon is a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence in the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations and has also occupied many other senior roles within the U.S. government. Mellon actually served for 12 years in a variety of positions on Capitol Hill, including nearly 10 years as a professional staff member as a staff director of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. One thing that sometimes gets mentioned about insiders who, who come forward to talk about this topic is that they've got some kind of agenda to make money, you know, from appearances or publishing a book, etc., whatever it might be. And what I've always found quite interesting, you know, is that this clearly isn't the case with Mellon. Mellon's great-grandfather, um, William Larimer Mellon, actually co-founded Gulf Oil, and Christopher Mellon himself has an approximate net worth you know, from looking around on the internet a little bit, of around $100 million. So I don't think the making a quick book explanation works here at all. And, uh, you know, it would appear that despite not necessarily seeing anything that directly points to the existence of secret UFO programs during his career, or at least, at least he says publicly, he claims that he's spoken to many credible people in senior positions who are adamant that they have giving him reason to think that this is worth pursuing. So the first clip is going to be a, a clip from Mellon speaking at a recent press conference for a UFO event a few weeks ago about whistleblowers that he has apparently spoken with who are willing to testify before Congress about the existence of secret UFO crash retrieval and reverse engineering programs if the necessary protections currently in the works do get signed into law. So here we go. Going to play the clip. Controlling my own views. Um, and your question correctly. In my article, what I said was that Congress is putting in procedure, our government, that will grant amnesty to people that have information about that topic. There have been long-standing allegations that our government has recovered some crashed alien material. And um, so our government, the, the great exciting thing is that we should get to the bottom of that soon because there is going to be a legal 
mechanism by which government officials, military people, and others who may be laboring under legal restrictions will actually be able to come forward without fear of arrest or prosecution to talk about that or other programs that have not been briefed to Congress or released to the American people or the public. So. Yeah. And there's a little bit of kind of audio issues on that particular clip there, just by the, in case anybody noticed that the rest of the clips won't have that. Unfortunately, it was actually present on the source video. I tried to clear that up as much as I could, but hopefully it was still uh, audible. Um, so long and short of it is, it's about these whistleblowers who are, are ready to come forward if these whistleblower protections actually do make it into law. So what, what are your thoughts on, on that there, Dave? I mean, I think there's so much. I mean, we're going to learn from Jim Semeran later, and, but that there's a really big push, I think, on, on being more open. It seems a step change. I don't think post Gillibrand. I think that they want to. They're really going for it now on the IIA stuff. They're really going for this, and there's no one spoke out. Semivan and obviously Chris Mellon, and to me, he don't pull many punches here. When I heard this, and I think it's hard to not underestimate the importance. He's saying many respected people who he vouches for have actually sold him that there's a reverse engineering program, craft, and even hints at bodies, which is pretty major stuff. It really, when I heard that, Frank, I think I said to you, privately, it absolutely blew my head off, I'll be honest, you know, because it's a, it's a major sort of admission. And we know that Chris Sharp has been writing about that in Liberation Times, and he was saying that a couple of months ago, but the Senate or the, the politicians, Congress, will have actually been shown evidence of, where, where the stuff is and potentially bodies as well and actually being shown a proper report and document of where it actually is. So that sort of backs that up as well. And uh, you forget with Melanie, he's been working at a high level for so long. He's so well connected. And there's so many people he's saying are confirming this. It's very hard to sort of, as a reasonable person, I think, to sort of deny the truth of what is pretty fantastic. I mean, he even says later on in that interview, it's fantastic, I know, but this is what they're saying. And I should imagine there's a the faction who don't want this out are really trying to fight uh, tooth and nail with this, with dragging the feet, with legislative fixes, and even dis discrediting people on Twitter or whatever. But they're just going on relentlessly, really. And I think he's planned for this for years, Chris, him and Lou. I think we can see that there. And we're sort of coming to the moment where he sort of, puts his foot to the metal, as it were. Or is it pedal to the metal? I can't remember, anyway. But uh, it, it, that's what I think he's doing. I think the amnesty is quite important, if you listen to him there. That's obviously a key trigger, which they'd obviously planned for. Uh, that was the sort of key mechanism. Given it's not a criminal amnesty, which Frank Milburn was talking about the other day, I, I, you might not see any spooks, and we'll get into that in a minute, I suppose. But... Uh, one thing that is a bit of a worry is if doctors would uh, maybe put people off. You know, the, there's that factor as well. If people are going to come forward, would they be put off? Because we've seen a bit of that already. But I think the other point, the big point to pick out, as he says a bit later on, he says, you know, people, uh, uh, you know, tens of other, other loads of other people have told me it's not true. So, you know, let's be careful. But I think, I don't know if you made this point the other day, Frank, but it's clearly obvious that, a lot of the, if it's compartmentalized, people wouldn't know. Now, I don't think Chris was sort of, so I think people took that a little wrong. But 
obviously if it's a secret program it's compartmentalized not many people will know so i think he was trying to illustrate that it's not well known in the government so just because everybody doesn't know doesn't mean to say it's not happening and there was enough a core of credible people but yeah i thought it was mind-blowing and for me it was the start of the sort of move towards hearings in october or november or january anyway yeah, definitely. A couple of things I wanted to mention in there. Uh, first of all, is the the specific thing about people that have been approaching Chris Mel and not just like a person. So the, the the specific use of plural there suggests that there's more than one. Um, and uh, the other thing is, again, you sort of touched on that a bit there, and and we mentioned this on the the recent roundtable um, that, that we did uh, where Ash. Uh, UK UAP was talking about the fact that actually even if these legal protections do end up making it into law and are in place that's not the only thing that might actually put off people who want want to come out because obviously there are allegiances and things within these groups and there may you know if you if you feel like you're going to be sort of marginalized by your colleagues because you come forward that might not necessarily be a legal ramification but it's still going to affect people's willingness to come forward isn't it you know so there's there's quite a few different um aspects to it there that are uh, that are worth you know considering as well and uh, the other thing is that, you know, the the according to Chris Sharp and, and various other people who, who have, have been in contact with sources about this as well, this is actually verifiable evidence that's been presented to Congress about the location of these, um, you know, the, the secret programs and potentially even the location of, of the actual materials that have been recovered and maybe even you know biological samples and things of that nature as well and i think the the important quote that that chris did in one of his liberation times articles was that you know laws are not made in a vacuum you know these are serious people they're not going to have just kind of gone on a whim and thought you know well let's let's just put some things in just out of curiosity they're doing this based on verifiable information that they've been presented with which is it makes it all the more interesting doesn't it absolutely and again there was that implicit point in the uh the Senate evaluation paper of why why they'd gone for the IAA Act, basically saying we're not interested in human craft. Now, to me, as I said before, it, that is an implicit acknowledgement. There's enough evidence that the craft haven't got a, a, an earthly known sieve origin, you know. And so, that, that, I think that for me was one of the biggest confirmations we've had on that, and that it links to what you just said there. Yeah, yeah, I think there's been a bit of a. Uh... You know, impatience in, in recently as well on you know UFO Twitter and within the sort of wider UFO community because you know people are hearing from uh, Dr. Gary Nolan. You know, said very similar comments to the ones that we just heard from Chris Mellon, and obviously here Christopher Mellon saying similar things about people. You know, whistleblowers plural are ready to come forward, and then what happens is a week goes by and people are saying, "Where's the whistleblowers?" You know, but the the fact is, these whistleblower protections have to be set in stone before these people are going to be willing to come forward. And uh, as you were saying there, Dave, the the legislation is still going through the the complicated legal system. Um, you know, the the wording included in the uh, fiscal year twenty three National Defence Authorization Act and the Intelligence Authorization Act is still in the works. So it's just a case of waiting for that to go through, and. Um, you know, this is this is not a game for these people. You know, they're they're going to be essentially making some pretty serious allegations if they do come forward. That there are, 
you know, secret programs that are operating outside of normal oversight structures, hidden from Congress. You know, I think a, a degree of patience is, is needed for the, those protections to be in place. And we sort of have to understand that these things take time, you know. It's uh, it's uh, the interesting thing to think about is is who are, you know, the whistleblowers that are going to be coming forward, uh, which kind of leads me on to the the next quote, actually, where we, we get a, a pretty good indication of who is, is not going to be uh, a whistleblower. So let's play the clip. Okay. Uh, one, I, I can't speak for Lou, but I don't think Lou is going to be one of the people who is uh, in a uh, going to be coming forward. I don't believe that Lou were directly on any alien recovery program. Um, could be wrong, but I don't believe that's the case. I know Lou very well. Okay. We work closely together. Um, but there are other people. Uh, why am I? There we go, and that's the uh, the specific mention of uh, other people as well. You know, the the plural uh, thing that we were mentioning a little bit earlier. So, what are your thoughts on uh, on that, then, Dave? Yeah, I must admit that was a bit of not spit me dummy out, but I was quite surprised at that because I because Lou even himself had sort of been hinting. Now, boy, he's a bit cagey like that, and he likes to sort of hint, and maybe it's not right there. It, he thought Lou was going to be one of them, but so it's probably going to be people who actually worked on the programs. That's the that's what I would think is the assumption because it's a knocking bet if Chris says that that Lou's not going to do it. He, he, you know he's being polite, but I can't speak for him. But he knows he's not going to do it. And so I think it'll be, as I say, people who maybe worked on him could be Eric Davis, I suppose, but it could be people we don't know about. And if that is, that could be very significant. You've got people coming forward. I've seen the craft. I've done this. Maybe even I've seen the body. I've done. And once the questions start being asked, it could get quite sophisticated or quite deep quite quickly so for me again i thought that was uh so while it's not ufo celebrities as it were it could be people of great impact and and again i am of the opinion we need a big hit on these hearings sort of all, first of all you know an important start rather than having a trickle of low level people but i think these people even if they're not known if they've got such important testimony uh to give then it could be, that'd be as good as having Lou on or whatever because of what they're saying. We might find out what the programs, where it's been under, what are the, is there a link to Wilson Davis? Uh, is it, uh, you know, military stuff? What is it? Uh, who ran the programs? Was it DOE? Was it DOD? Was it NASA even? Who coordinated them? How long did they run forward? Could be loads of stuff like that, Frank. Comes mm. out virtually right off the bat because those people would know that. Uh, so I, again, I thought, well, Lou won't be doing that. I thought, my God, we're going to go to the actual people. And if you listen to what he says, Chris, these guys are willing to call guys, women, whoever it is, they're willing to come forward, you know, and t- they want to testify. And as long as they've got the protections, as it were, because that's again, is a key. They are willing to come forward, and he sort of ended that in his last clip in this one, or in the conversation around it. So I thought, God, that that's really significant. It also shows, again, when people, uh, we're not going into getting on too much, when people play games and sort of complain and maybe make people feel worried about coming out, what a real damage they can do to the to the topic and us all getting what we want on whatever side of the argument we are. You know, it's important. We want to be encouraging people to come out, not making them worried they're going to get, you know, the flight, a bit like you were alluding to, really getting the families, you know, and the reputations attacked. 
so yeah i thought uh i thought it was it was it was really really uh, interesting i mean he mentioned the dates for the hearing frank he said uh a bit later it could be october so i don't think it'd be that but it could be you know the october surprise they have in american politics because the elections at the start of november so they often look you know something happens not like clinton it happened with the fbi or a few other things have happened over the years uh so it, there could be something in that. He didn't say that. He didn't think it would be October, but I think it might because potentially it could happen. He said it's more likely November or January. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and the, so that's pretty, it's not far away, that, Frank, when you think about it. And it might be Senate, it might be Congress, might be joint. That's just my speculation. He didn't say on that. that. So uh, the only thing we don't know, it's going to be a closed or an open hearing, but the main point, sorry, to come back to the main point, is these people who could testify could reveal a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point in terms of the time scale. I think Ross Coulthard, again, you know, obviously, I think most of the listeners of this show will be familiar with Ross Coulthard, um, you know, really kind of uh, well-respected journalist who's been looking into this topic now for, for quite some years. And um, during that time, he's, he's built up quite a, a network of sources and things like that. And Ross has said that he has heard that there may be a hearing um, before the end of the year. So that could be the sort of like October, November sort of time, like you were suggesting there. But the the real kind of monumental people stepping forward is most likely to be early next year. So it's good to have that idea, isn't it, of a, of a, t- a rough timescale of, of what we're going to be looking at. Um, but I think it's uh, generally the case that these legislations do go through and get signed into law at least by like the end of January. So by the time we get into after Christmas and the beginning part of next year, probably going to start some to see some pieces of the puzzle start to you know to click together as to whether it's going to be open or closed hearings. I suppose we don't really have much of an idea at this stage, do we? It's just a case of keep an eye open. What what do you reckon? Do you think it will be? Uh, open or closed hearings? Well, I think uh, clearly uh, the defence people and DOD will want it all to be closed and they'll try and uh, they'll try and entice people by telling them something. They said, oh, well, it'll have to be closed now we've told you that. But I think given the politicians have put a lot of capital on this, there's issues of accountability and they want people to understand what they're doing. I think they will push for at least a portion of them being open. Because I think that's part of the, this sort of dialogue and the issue is about accountability. And the politicians, as I say, will want to prove they're not barking up the wrong tree. And the more open it is, the harder it is for the military to get out of it. Uh, if you keep it behind closed doors, the military can do all sorts of things. Once somebody said something in open court, then and, and unless the military want to say, oh, and that's not true, and accuse somebody of perjury or whatever, then which you're not well, I, they'd have to be on pretty strong ground to do that. I think if I was a politician, I want as much as I can in open court, and, and I think that maybe was indicated by the fact they had an open hearing before. You know, was it in? Uh, I can't remember when it was. It may recently. Uh, you know, I think uh, that. So I think they will be frank, even though people seem to be saying, implying they won't be. And Chris was a bit like that. He said, "Oh, they might not be open." You know, he didn't want to commit on that. But I. I personally think they will be if i was a politician i'd do that anyway yeah it's, it's interesting to think about the various motivations as to whether they might be open or closed because like you say you, you think a lot of these 
uh, Congress people who are putting their reputations on the line, basically, to kind of push this legislation through, they're probably going to have a motivation for it to be open, aren't they? Because they're going to want to the public to see, see, we're not backing up the wrong tree. Look, this guy's come out, or this, this, you know, this woman's come out and uh, and verified what we've been saying all along. So there's probably in their interest to to have it open. Um, but then again, on the other hand, like you say, those who are keen to to maintain the obfuscation might prefer for it to be closed, you know, to sort of minimise what comes out to the public. And maybe even perhaps the whistleblowers themselves might want to retain a certain amount of anonymity, you know, so they might actually prefer for it to be closed. And I don't know, I, I would suggest probably the most likely thing is going to end up that it will be a bit like the previous hearing where it is open, but then certain areas that, you know, they need to touch on end up being taken into the, the closed hearing for the purposes of, you know, the class protecting the classified information that, that may end up getting spoken about but who knows we'll have to just uh see how it all plays yeah. out won't we i guess i mean it will also about how professional they're going to be because in some of those big set piece hearings we've seen historically you have big legal teams they went through the witnesses and all the rest of it and they went through what they were going to say now the essence i think of having public hearings is giving the information without giving away the secrets i.e sources and methods or whatever sensitive stuff but you can still say the essence of what's been happening. And I think if there's good, careful legal preparation about that, that might enable more to be said in public. The less planned it is, the less the, the, the more likely they're going to put a blanket on, it, see, on and make it more closed. So that's probably something they've already thought about, you know, having a good support team in place to enable that. And that they know this, they, they know the game so just as you've said that, and it made me think of that, Frank. That might be what the, what what the thing is, what they do. Mm. Yeah, another point I wanted to make about that was um, I've seen a few people piping up, particularly some of those that are a bit more sceptical of of Lou Elizondo, um, saying that like that that particular comment, you know, proves like, see, Lou wasn't involved in any crash retrieval programs. Melon just said it, and it's like. Well, actually, that, that is that actually a surprise? Because it shouldn't be, really. Lou Elizondo has never claimed to be read into or worked directly on any actual crash retrieval programs, which is what Mellon is specifically referring to there. Um, and I don't think that's actually the important takeaway, is it, really, from, from what's being said there? The important bit is that Mellon seems to be suggesting that you know the people who, who are the whistleblowers were directly involved in a crash retrieval or reverse engineering program. And that's that's what your comments were saying just yeah. to start with, weren't they? Yeah, did you and just it, put, sorry, sorry, Frank, go on, go on, mate. Yeah, I was going to say it, it could be a case of we're reading too much into that comment and, and letting the imagination sort of do some of the work. But that, that's how it hit me when I heard him say it. It seems to suggest that, you know, the people who are ready to come forward have that direct knowledge of these, you know, uh, re- reverse engineering crash retrieval programs. Yeah, because he specifically said, Lou, I remember him saying this a couple of times, he couldn't get to those core programs. You know, mm-hmm. he couldn't. He said that explicitly. He knew he knew about their existence because he could see, you know, from all the paperwork he must have looked at. I can't remember how did, but I remember thinking he said that, and I heard him say that specifically. So it's just, people are clutching at straws sometimes just to try and make two and two make five to discredit him. To me, it's wholly consistent what he said. And and I'd rather hear somebody was on it than Lou. I don't think anybody thought Lou was sitting next to some, uh, you know, sports model of Bob Lazar's with a screwdriver trying to bloody uh, re-engineer it. Nobody thought that. 
just another straw dog but these people like to create that's it and yeah just to touch on another point you made earlier as well if I remember correctly, I think Gary Nolan actually said on a recent interview that the people he spoke to that are, that are thinking about coming forward as whistleblowers are actually not names that are currently well known by yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the, the UFO community and researchers, etc. So that's that's interesting to think about. Like you say, it's actually kind of in a way, it's like more impactful that we might be seeing completely new characters enter the picture rather than somebody who we already know about, like Lou Elizondo, or um, I suppose that. That comment there, if it indeed is the same people that both of these gentlemen are referring to, that might suggest that it's not Eric Davis because Eric Davis is is actually quite a well known name within you know the topic, isn't he? So does that suggest we're talking about completely new people coming into the picture? Could be. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, now we know a bit more about who the whistleblowers may be, or more to the point, who they may not be. You know, kind of process of elimination, I suppose. There, isn't it? Um, where exactly are these programs themselves located? And this is a particular, uh, really interesting one, I think. Another uh, quote from uh, Mellon here, talking about where these programs might actually be located. It's a little bit of a longer clip, this one, but I think it's worth playing the whole thing for the detail he goes into. How serious it is. Um, secondly, the, your other question is that... Um, Yes, my views have changed. So when I worked in the Defense Department, there's a structure for monitoring all of the black programs to make sure the Army and Navy and Air Force and DARPA that are not duplicating uh, so that the, the Secretary of Defense has control over all those programs that are spread around. At that time, I participated in, in the review of those programs and there was nothing related to UFOs. Um, but there's not enough time to explain how complicated our system is of secrets. But one of the, the things you have to understand is that we have three galaxies of secrets. And I was very deep in two of them, but not in the third. We have the intelligence community, which has its own whole world of secrets. We have the defense department, which has hundreds of programs that the intelligence community doesn't know about <laughs> and largely vice versa. Then we have the department of energy, which has tens of billions of dollars of black programs and there's some intersect. But since I left the government, uh, I have learned new things and new information that have raised a question as to whether this, there wasn't something outside of that system that was so special so super secret that it was kept out of that whole process and so that's one of the questions and that's one of the reasons congress is taking the action that it is um, yeah pretty intense one that isn't it uh, i found that one particularly interesting so what, what are your thoughts on that dave well i mean that was great i just bear in mind chris mellon in his role i think he was deputy Secretary of Defence Intelligence, something like that. And one of those jobs specifically is to be on the committee but oversees all the special access programmes. That was his job. And interesting, it's the same job as Admiral Wilson had in the day. Uh, and so basically they see everything. That's why Wilson kicked off, but he couldn't see the programme at Lockheed or wherever it was uh, because he said he should see everything. So, And obviously I think Chris had the same experience. He was saying 
I think as late as 2016 or certainly 2016, he apparently said it on a Jimmy Church thing or something or something in the green room at one podcast. Oh, well, if there's any things I'd know about it, he certainly said it to Leslie King because I think somebody asked him about that. Anyway, and then suddenly he found out, then he went to see Lou and the rest is history. But this Galaxy of Secret things is a really good insight into it. So you've got all the defense ones, all the intelligence community ones, and all the DOE ones, and they don't really speak to each other. But interestingly, in that job he had, he would have seen all the DOD ones and the intelligence community ones, but he wouldn't have seen the DOE ones. They're separate. They're not, they're not, they don't have any oversight, and they don't really have much congressional oversight. They normally do, but they don't actually have it. So... Uh, so he 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 wouldn't have seen, he wouldn't have seen that there, and it, that, so that's quite interesting for for what he you know for how he would have uh, what he would have known. Now he actually says, my view is that within all these galaxies of secrets, there was something so secret it was outside of that. But I think subtly he doesn't roll out the fact that he might have been in the DOE area because uh, it could be, couldn't it? If he didn't know they were there, but his main point is that. There was something that was much more and much deeper than all these other areas. But I think it could still be, have been at the DOE. I mean, his favourite targets, Chris Mellon, for Abrobium, is the US Air Force and then the DOE or whatever for asking questions about what they're doing and why they're not getting involved in the secrecies. So I, I think it could well have been there. But the main point, I suppose, Frank, is that there was this, it was so secret, but there could have well been this programme existing in parallel that nobody really knew about. Now, when we talk a little bit later about Jim Semivan, we'll see this idea of legacy come out a little bit more because that is sort of the idea of this legacy program, something going secretly. So, I mean, if you go into the SAP system, a special access program system, this is where the, the, the top secret level, uh, only a few people are braved in. And as you get more and more higher up the level, they're allowed to lie about the program to people. There's less oversight. There's just oversight to the gang of eight of the politicians, but all the heads of the select committees in the, uh, not select committees, they are congressional committees. Uh, and there comes a point where you have a SAP where they call it uh, unacknowledged, carved out SAP, something like that. There's loads of weird ones. But essentially it means that the people are reporting to themselves within their own SAP thing and there's no congressional oversight. And that's the point where it gets very legally tricky. Uh, and as we get to it, if there is some sort of secret legislation from the president decades ago, from Truman or whatever, that might be where the legal class goes of who's got the most authority there. But anyway, the point is, you can certainly see within that SAP system, which he was alluding to, this secret program going on. And he definitely says it's uh, there, and he definitely says it's long-term, and it's a cover-up. I mean, so if you connect that with his other remarks about people working on there, you can see sort of cover-up, secret programs, clash retrieval. It's sort of like the whole kit and caboodle of the picture, you know, looking at looking at us there, really. And uh, anyway, I'll leave it there for now. I might just come back to the legacy programs in a minute. But what do you reckon there, Frank? Yeah, a lot of good points there that you make there. Um, I mean, I just I found that an absolutely fascinating little clip there uh, from Chris Mellon. He sort of expands on a lot of things that he's talked about a bit in the past on a few other podcasts. And uh, a point actually that you mentioned when we were talking about the previous clip uh, is quite relevant to this as well. Is that thing that he said not in any of these clips, but in the same uh, press conference, which is that for every one person in a senior position who has mentioned that 
you know they are aware of something like a UFO crash retrieval program outside of the structures, etc. There's another ten who claim that there isn't anything. I think he said another four or five or even ten who who aren't aware of anything and have never heard of it and thinks that he's he's barking up the wrong tree. But actually, if you think about it, that would make sense. If it is a completely separate thing, as Chris Mellon's talking about here, outside of these regular oversight structures for black programs, it would make sense that that's the case. In fact, you could even say it's even less than one in 10. It might be one in 100 people who've even got an inkling of anything like that having existed. And as Chris Mellon says there, during his time actually on the inside, he didn't see anything directly himself that pointed towards that it's more actually that since he's left his position he's then become aware of other things and like you say it's also a very interesting parallel with admiral wilson who's been in a very sort of similar position and he himself you know actually did have whilst he was still on the inside um some indications that there may be something going on tried to access it and wasn't able to access it so it's it's interesting now that all kind of ties together and uh i think um also, another point I was thinking of is the fact that, that Chris Mellon participated in a review of all the black programs, as he says there in that clip, you know, quite clearly. It's interesting that because you would think that if there is some kind of secret drone or aircraft that resembles like a triangle or a tic-tac, Mellon probably would have known about it because he reviewed all of these black programs. Unless, of course, even those efforts are located outside of the normal oversight structures. But I suppose that's a you know a, a, another story for another day. But you know that that comment alone could be interpreted that it's less likely, perhaps, that UFOs could can actually be explained by black budget tech because Mellon was probably aware of all of them black budget programs, and he's obviously not convinced that any of them are the explanation for you know the, the objects that are witnessed. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, that Frank. I'm not, not I'm not thought of that before. Sort of like that explicitly, because that is true. He would know, wouldn't he? I mean, he always says with confidence that it's not our tech, and you sort of assume he knew because of the specific briefings on he's working with this. But generally speaking, he would know, wouldn't he? Definitely, and that's exactly what he was doing when he was doing all the black programs, all the expenditure. Well, linked to that. So yeah, that's a re- really really interesting point actually. I also think on the legacy programs, just just to give people a bit of background. Well, it's all alleged this, so we don't know. But the the thinking is that Truman, after the Roswell thing and the Aztec wing, which was a year later in '48, which is supposed to be much more significant if you report to be to be believed, that's when they actually set up a lot of the the, the legacy program. And he maybe did a presidential order. CIA was set up in 47, as were US Air Force. I'm not so convinced about the Air Force because I can see why you'd have to do that anyway. That's a normal development, but certainly CIA. DOE, as we talked about in another pod, uh, Atomic Energy Commission, as it was then, but DOE as it is now, that was set up. And uh, if you read again a lot of the reports, the CIA was particularly set up to give them that coordination across departments to deal with it. And remember, the CIA had a big science function as well and particularly i mean ramirez said that recently but they did back in the day and that's a lot of what they did so you can see how this legacy programs would have been developed and depending on the the sort of special orders how it's just carried on and on particularly with low levels of people knowing particularly as we'll get into maybe a bit later than not being sure what's happening Uh, so you can definitely see how this sort of arose and how people just didn't know and given the the 
you know, the, the ridicule that was heaped on people, then sensible people would go, oh, no, 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 it's all over crazies, you know, and uh, just dismiss it. But, yeah, that bet about him knowing the black tech is a very good point for him. Yeah, and I think that that explanation about the three galaxies of secrecy or, or whatever he, however he describes it is very interesting as well. And like you said there earlier on, um, those three galaxies of secrecy is the intelligence community, the Defence Department, and the Department of Energy, which he actually specifically says has got tens of billions of black programs, yeah. which, which is amazing to think about, isn't it? You know, we talk about you know ATIP or RSAP having you know twenty two million of funding, but imagine tens of billions of black programs, you know, within the Department of Energy alone. And also, Mellon says that he was deep in two of those out of the three, which strongly suggests that it was the Department of Energy that's the third one that he wasn't involved in, doesn't it? You know, he's probably involved in the intelligence and the defense side of things, but but not the Department of Energy. So those tens of billions we're talking about would, would have been completely inaccessible to him during his time in, in the position that he has. Very interesting. Obviously, a lot of questions exist around what is in those tens of billions of dollars of Department of Energy programs. And... I think the the key point though there is that the suggestion of a whole other super secret thing existing outside of those three galaxies of secrecy, and that's obviously what you know we've discussed that quite a bit. It's, it's often speculated about as to where this UFO crash retrieval program may actually be, and uh, obviously, like you were talking about there, um, we've we've mentioned about that in the past when you've been on the show about certain U.S. presidents having authorized this to happen, you know, due to the extremely sensitive nature of you know what allegedly was recovered from UFO crashes, various ones, which could include non-human technology, you know, material fragments, fully intact craft, perhaps even biological samples or full on all the way to actual non-human bodies you know and you have to think that if that is the case as is often alleged you know and hinted at by people who've been behind this curtain of secrecy if you'd found those kinds of things it is a fairly good justification really for the absolute highest levels of secrecy and it's you know kind of i guess if you look at it from that point of view understandable that that could have been signed off all the way back then um as as being allowed to happen then again, if you look at it to the present day, it's pretty understandable that Congress would be outraged to hear about that, you know, because it's essentially sort of illegal. Now, oversight, you know, as a, as a word that we hear about a lot, you know, oversight of programs and stuff, obviously that word comes from overseeing, as in, you know, there must be always somebody there to supervise what, you know, from the, the people's representatives, i.e. Congress, you know, they have to supervise any taxpayer funded activities that go on in these programs and it's pretty obvious really why it would be concerning that a military or intelligence program would ever be allowed to just do whatever it wanted without that oversight of the representatives of the people keeping an eye on how the money was being spent and what was being done and obviously this is a played a pretty big part in why congress has been pushing to get to the bottom of of what's going on here because you know, even an allegation of programs existing outside of, of their oversight is concerning, you know, whatever the program is, particularly if it involves something as significant as what we're talking about here, you know, potential non-human technology. You know, so 
Anyway, have you got any further thoughts to add on that before we move on, Dave? Well, I think Kate, just two quick words. Katie Howland said, one thing the politicians do not like is their accountability, their ability of oversight taken away from them. If you really want to annoy them beyond measure, that's the way to do it. So they've clearly done that. But it also shows the genius of Chris and Lou. And I think the honest intentions, I don't think it's that Machiavellian, but it is very clever. But the only people who've got the correct tool, a crowbar, to get this door open is Congress. They're the only ones who can do it, uh, know about it, and they've targeted, the campaign has been great, raise awareness, get a movement, get Congress involved, get legislation passed. So given this secrecy and what we're talking about, that's the only key to that door, as it were, without mixing my metaphors too much. It's uh, uh, so I think that it does show that, and it's a really true that. And Congress apparently were both shocked and outraged, which we might come to a bit later on. But yeah, so that sort of brings it nicely full circle to the, what Chris has been doing and working towards. And as we, as I say, the push now is on to move towards these hearings, and it's great to see. To be honest, absolutely, and it's it's interesting that even going back to. You know, quite a few years ago, I remember Chris Mellon has talked about um, on on interviews. There's a particular one I forget what channel it is now. It might be CNN, um, where he talks about having uh, been aware of Eric Davis having actually given briefings to Congress in 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 you know congressional committees and things like that to try to make Congress aware of where these programs are and and where they can actually look to to find them and things like that and obviously this is going back quite some years so it would appear that that wasn't quite enough to you know actually stimulate Congress to to take action and and use that crowbar to open the door as you say um but obviously then you know perhaps those efforts that Eric Davis actually you know, took part in back then, not being successful, have kind of set the wheels in motion of what we have actually seen over the last few years. And it's quite clear that by this point, Congress are fully switched on to it. So we've we've discussed a bit about these programmes, where they may be. And now let's hear from um, Jim Semivan about some, some more on this and how these legacy programmes, as they are known, um, may have come about. Uh, first, a little bit about Jim Semivan. So Jim was a CIA officer for 25 years and is a founding member of the To The Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, TTSA, uh, obviously with uh, Tom DeLonge, Tom DeLonge, however you want to say it, on whatever day it is. And whilst he claims to have um, never found the location of any CIA UFO offices or programs during his career, I'm not exactly sure how accurate that is sometimes, given how much knowledge Jim Semivan actually does have on the topic and the certainty with which he speaks about certain aspects of it. And I think you know some of this comes from his, his own experiences with entities and the conversations that he will undoubtedly have had since leaving the CIA, especially being involved with the, the other people in TTSA. But at the very least, I tend to think that, you know, walking those corridors and moving in those circles for 25 years, you would definitely have a good idea at least what the word on the grapevine is on, on the UFO topic. And, and he clearly is interested in UFOs. And so, you know, one has to imagine that he would have been asking questions wherever the opportunity arose. So anyway, this is the first quote from um Jim Semivan. This is actually kind of two quotes, so I'll just play both of the clips and uh, then we'll get into talking about uh, what they mean. 
they discovered a life form after World War II. Um, but again, this goes back to um, legacy programs, uh, the Air Force, CIA, I'm sure had, or they did have, and uh, I'm sure it's still going on today. I think it's it's um, the first issue is I think everybody should understand that you know in, in here's how the government works. In 1947, um, right after Roswell, and we had, and then you know right after Roswell happened, and then we had this <clears throat> these UFO flaps that were going on, and there were uh, a lot of them, in, in, you know, in the late <clears throat> late 40s, um, early 50s, again in the 60s. Um, so what happens is, you know, uh, everybody looks to the Air Force at that time, uh, you know, and, you know, to say, well, okay, what are these things? So the Air Force came out right away and said, we, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what these are, but they're definitely real. No question about it. We pick them up on radar, just like we do today. We pick them up on radar. There were a lot of visual sightings, um, and they made it very plain. I can't remember what the twining memo. You remember the twining memo? I mean, he came right out and said it. He said, look, you know, we, we've got to do something about this. We have to start some kind of a program. So um, they did. And, and, um, and that program was never going to be public. And then when CIA got into the picture in 47 and 48, um, uh, they also had their own you know, deal. There was signed grudge, Robertson panel. You can go down the, the list. Um, and always looking into this. And what they've always said was UFOs never pose a national security threat. In other words, there's no existential threat to the United States, which they were mostly concerned about because of uh, Pearl Harbor and World War II. So you have to go back to that mindset. The second thing was they were absolutely right. Our telecommunication system throughout the United States was awful, just really awful. And uh, it's not like it is today. So they were very concerned that they would be overwhelmed Soviets were very, very good at disinformation and throwing these things out, and they were they, because, and they thought maybe this was a ploy by the Soviets to overwhelm our systems. So there are these legitimate reasons, I think, where they they looked at this and said, uh, particularly later on in the early fifties, they said, "Look, we can't we can't have this out in the public because." So yeah, quite a lot to unpack there. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of that, Dave? Yeah, well, firstly, Jim uh, Semivan, he's played his cards close to his chest for years in CTSA. I mean, he had Melinda Leslie as like his medium at one point. She was the only one who was speaking for him. I really like Melinda, by the way. But, but, you know, he didn't say much. And then when you talk, he said, oh, well, we weren't doing that much. I don't. And now, he first come out and said he was an experiencer, which was quite a shock to people. And now he's been being more outspoken about what's been going on. He started particularly on, well, he did a couple of things with TTSA, a recent podcast, and uh, Whitley Stryber, and then the recent ones he did with Cab and James Iandoli. So it, it, the listeners can judge for themselves how much Jim's sort of moved off the fence. And again, I think it's part of this big disclosure push that's going on. And it's interesting because Jim comes from a slightly different perspective than Chris, I would say, but which is a, which is a good thing. But, uh, you know, it's good to have that sort of plurality of thought. But... If you think about the two clips, he definitely says life was discovered after World War II, and he definitely says legacy programs were set up, permanent ones, but still going now. He sort of says that in the, in the second clip. Uh, again, we hear that word legacy again. It links to the Truman stuff I was talking about. And uh, he set it up, and they basically set up with post-Roswell and all the rest of it. He set it up with his special access and status. You've got, again, he mentions US, US Air Force and CIA being set up then. 
And as I said again, the DOE was set up then. Uh, and so it's a key point from that first clip. It's still going on today. He says that quite clearly. Uh, then he moves on to the second one, and he speaks about Roswell, Frank. And I only picked this up when I listened to it a couple of times. It's an absolute fact when he speaks about Roswell. No dare, he don't say, oh, well, you know, and I let you. it's an absolute fact. And if you listen to it, if the listeners listen to the whole interviews, he does a lot of things where he, he says them as if they're absolute facts. So he clearly knows a lot about that. He talks about there was a number of UFO flaps post-Roswell, which sort of solidified the effort, but also led up to the Air Force setting up the big program that they did, which he refers to again, but also gradually realising they had to do obfuscation and the CIA did sign and grudge to sort of develop that, really. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we had then there's the Robertson panel, I think, with Hynek in the early 50s where they sort of said, oh, there's nothing to it. And then you had the Condon report, which sort of finished it off later on. I can't remember the dates, the exact dates there, Frank, but one come before the other. And that was the sort of finish point. And they, they closed Blue Book off at the end as well. But I think uh, it clearly shows from another person, from the other end, as it were, there's this big historical link of this programs coming up if you think of uh, Chris Mellon at the other end saying, to, going from the other end saying that's where they were, it clearly shows that program. And uh, I think it also shows Semivan for all. He said, Oh, I'm not quite sure. We're, we're not, he, I'm not, not, don't want to deride him because he's a good person. And uh, what he said, he was saying, I wasn't quite sure. He's obviously got a very clear knowledge and roadmap of this from early on. And I would suggest a few other people in the CIA have as well. And because if you listen to what we're hearing from what he's saying, people the CIA were a central player in this so they must have some sort of central role in it still I would imagine however well hidden that is and I think the CIA and DOE and US Air Force are pretty well linked in that and anyway we won't go that's a bit of a rabbit hole but yeah so that's why I thought it was really amazing and it was sort of looking from the other end and sort of confirm what Chris Mellon said really and Jim spoke with absolute certainty on it yeah absolutely i mean that was one of the first things that that hit me i think it's the first uh, little mini clip that i played there um jim semivan speaks like you say with absolute confidence doesn't he? he's like not, not only that there was a crash retrieval that took place but he specifically says um a, a life form was discovered after world war ii and that does seem pretty clearly to be talking about well most likely, I would say Roswell, but you know, potentially could have been other crash retrievals that took place around that similar time frame as well. But the fact that he's he's very confidently saying that it, a life form was actually kind of you know recovered or discovered is, is is pretty pretty interesting. Again, I suppose this goes back to what I was talking about earlier on, though. There isn't exactly any absolute clarity on whether or not that is factual information that Jim Semivan has come across throughout his career perhaps having spoken to somebody who was involved in some kind of program or whether he was himself. Uh, obviously, if he was, he probably wouldn't be able to say that he was anyway. So this is where that curtain of secrecy kind of comes in, isn't it? Where it gets uh, quite tricky to determine where that line is. Um, but again, very interesting that, that the way that he describes the legacy programs and the location of them is very similar and sort of seems to back up Chris Mellon's version of events as well. So you get that corroboration there in terms of the legacy programs. So that that's pretty interesting in and of itself. And I think uh, the the history of how the the actual secrecy came about is very interesting as well. 
And he adds some quite important context there as to why, you know, the legacy programs may have been allowed to be set up outside of that normal, you know, oversight structure that we've been talking about and we mentioned earlier. Obviously, back in those days, you know, it wasn't exactly clear what this was. There was a, a real worry about Soviet disinformation, which I suppose is kind of an interesting parallel with today, actually, given the massive amount of Russian disinformation efforts that still take place now, you know, just in a, in a different way since technology has moved on and everything. Um, and obviously that's, you know, that kind of thing is something we've heard about uh, quite a lot, that the, the real worry that there was about communications networks being overwhelmed by the Soviets, you know, deliberately, as part of a hoax, kind of overwhelming the communication systems, and then that could be used as a, a precursor to an attack or you know an invasion or whatever it might be. And for all of those reasons, the whole thing was kind of downplayed. You know, the the, the reality of what was going on with with UFOs was downplayed and deliberately stigmatized and kept outside. Uh, you know, of what the public could see. And you know, given those special provisions, you know, allegedly. Uh, to be outside of congressional oversight so that it could be worked on completely hidden you know and then obviously like you said the 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 door to transparency was slammed shut really wasn't it when uh, project blue book was closed you know and and it sort of ended up staying that way you know with all these decades going by before we finally got an admission that you know ATIP and RSAP existed and the people involved came out and spoke about how directly involved it actually was uh with ufos and of course you know again allegedly these were just the tip of the iceberg of what's really been going on much more deeply hidden than even a tip and orsap and that perhaps i think you mentioned this earlier as well perhaps even the people who were working on a tip and orsap they themselves hadn't been able to access the really deeply buried stuff you know even though they may have you know possibly had, had glimpses of that you know so yeah, it's very very interesting comments there. You got anything else you'd like to to add to that? Only verse we're going to see in a minute from Jim. Uh, it's interesting why they did keep the secret. Clearly, it was the Cold War and all the rest of it. I was reading something else, and I don't know how true it is, but allegedly the people on the core group, the Magic Twelve group, or whatever, a lot of them after the Aztec clash wanted to, uh, you know, want, wanted basically to sort of come clean because because they'd seen quite a lot. And that was sort of, there was a core group who said, we're not doing this, it'll cause panic or whatever. So you wonder if the secrecy was about, and again, I don't, we don't know how true that is, Frank, so I accept that if anybody does. But if we assume that there may be something to it, we don't know how much people were worried, were worried about that and how much uh, how, how much it was something else that sort of drove, drove that. So what was driving the secrecy, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say there. And it may well be that they couldn't explain it and they couldn't deal with it. That was the real issue, not the Cold War, the fact that they weren't able to give a good explanation to the American people. Anyway, we'll get into that in a minute, but I thought that was quite a, uh, you know, an interesting... Uh, when I was reading that, I thought, oh, that's quite interesting to speculate. Just generally, on your other point, I think you're right to remind us all, though, that Jimmy's probably only talking about things he's heard and seen. So I suppose we are, strictly speaking, on what we think of his view of it. I mean, I likely, but it's probably pretty good, the information he's seen, but we can't know, can we, 100%. And I was just thinking as you were speaking, that's quite a good, you know, you know, we don't, we like to speculate, don't we? But we do like to do our due diligence as well. So we don't, we don't quite know, do we, I suppose? 
Yeah, exactly. And as I say, this is where that curtain of secrecy thing, you know, comes in, isn't it? Because, you know, even if somebody had worked on some kind of top secret program that that gave them factual, you know, information about this is this and this is this, they they perhaps couldn't even say that anyway. So, you know, this is where the whole, the, the breadcrumb trail kind of you know, comes into play of where they can't they can't specifically mention. Oh, okay, I've, uh, th- this is what I think, and this is based on the factual, you know, things that I've picked up that I've actually worked on directly during my career. You know, this is where the the, the breadcrumb thing comes in. They, they can perhaps hint at things. They can put forward a strongly oppressed, you know, expressed opinion. Um, but yeah, they can't obviously reference it with things that. And I know this because I, I worked on a, an absolutely top secret, you know, carved out special access pro. They're not going to be able to say that anyway, are they? So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think the other thing with this is that, uh, that I mean, I totally, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing is all we can do now is looking at this as people, as a lot of people in the field. The circumstantial evidence of one person saying one thing, other people saying other thing that seem to connect sort of points us in that direction so as reasonable people we can make assumptions and what this whistleblower testimony may well do is really put some key bricks in the centre of that hole in the wall as it were uh, probably the other way around the analogy should be but anyway you get what I mean as a sort of, so we can see the whole picture as it were and so they'll, uh, that could sort of fit in, slot in nicely with, uh, with these other elements that we're looking at now and if it doesn't we'll at least know We'll at least know that, won't we, if that's not what we thought. So that's a bit really interesting, just what you're saying. Probably made me think of that then. Yeah, that's it. And, and I think, again, you know, um, Chris Mellon, you know, we talked about this earlier a couple of times, you know, the thing he said that there's for every one person who who makes these allegations, there's a lot of other people who, who, who claim to have no knowledge of it and so on. The point is that these are allegations and that, what you have to do when there's an allegation of something, particularly something of this significance and something this serious, is you have to look into it. And Congress are now doing that. So we are closer than ever to actually finally trying to figure out, you know, whether there's any weight to these allegations. And it, it might be that it's exactly as as, you know, the allegations would have it. Or it might be that, that only, you know, there's only some of that that's true and, and all the rest of it. You know, the, again, what's going on behind that curtain of secrecy is, is difficult to say with any certainty at this point. But um what what what's for sure though is that, you know, the the US government, and obviously this is just one government in the world, but all governments around the world have probably got similar things going on. But the US government for decades and decades claimed to have no interest in it. They weren't looking into it. And then obviously eventually it did come out, you know, it was kind of dragged out really, um, kicking and screaming that, that yeah, all right, we've got these couple of UFO programs that have been going on very recently. And all of the various people who worked on those programs, um, you know, did come forward and they came forward and, one of the big things that broke that story was the New York Times article, which leads me nicely, seamlessly on to the next clip, which I'll play now. Um, the story was wrong. And I got a hold of Leslie and I said, it's, it's not about $22 million and the Pentagon has a UFO program. It's about there's an entity out there. There's some kind of non-human intelligence that's living with us on this planet. 
Okay, so we're going to leave it there at the end of part one. Part two will be out in a couple of days from when this part one comes out on Spotify and all the other streaming services. Um, the whole thing ended up being about two hours, so we decided that's probably a little bit long for one episode, so we split it into two parts. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this so far, and obviously quite an intense quote to end on there from Jim Semivan, very animated in his response there, and we'll be getting into our thoughts on that and why he was so animated and what he meant by all of that in the beginning of part two so if you've enjoyed this let us know your thoughts on it. it's always great to hear from listeners about what you think about what we've been discussing this, these are always just our opinions of course and other people might have other things to add into the mix so always great to hear from people I'm on at UFO Thinker and Dave is on DSmethurst66. And as always, you can support the podcast on uh, Patreon. That's the best way to support the show if you are interested in doing so. Obviously, just by listening and leaving reviews on whatever streaming service, that is fantastic support. And actually, that means a lot. It really helps to get the podcast out to other people, the algorithms and all the rest of it. That's how it works. If you if you leave a review, if you like share and do all the rest of it then the algorithm kicks in and actually recommends the podcast to other people who might be interested so please do do that only takes a couple of minutes to leave a review or you know like on twitter and things like that really does help to support the show and if you want to go a step further as i mentioned patreon you can you can support the show from as little as a couple of pounds a month a couple of dollars or whatever your local currency is and you get early access to shows occasional patreon exclusive shows as well so until next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you in the next episode UFO Podcast. Podcast.